2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books and Gender Studies. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with Lindy McDougall of Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia, to talk about her new book, The Perfect Vagina, Cosmetic Surgery in the 21st Century, out this year, 2021, with uh, Indiana University Press. Hello, Lindy, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Yana. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely. How are you this your evening in <laughs> Australia? Yeah, so good. Yeah, it's dark
0: and cool, but cold is not really what we get here. We think it's cold and it's sort of less than 20
2: degrees. Um, yes, so, yes no, it's very pleasant. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, at 20 is in the Netherlands when we hit 20, people start complaining about the heat. So, yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, think of what's <laughs> happening in Canada at the moment. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the same back back home in the States is just miserable. I hate global warming. I know that's a bold move, bold statement there, but just we need let to me say it. About that. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right. Um. So I was so happy to see this book come up when I was like, you know, as I trolling the publishers, as I do to see who I might like to talk to. It's such a great topic. um, I had a student a couple of years ago who would have been thrilled to find this book because this is really uh. Some unique and groundbreaking work you're doing. I mean, that's a really good sign. It's very new and exciting. Um, so, and uh, there's so much to unpack here. But before we go any further, I'd like you just explain to our listeners what exactly we're talking about when we talk about female genital alteration. Um, what procedures might this encompass?
0: Okay, so um, if we're talking about female genital alterations or cosmetic surgery in us in the West. Um, and, that, and it's carried out not just in the West but particularly in the States, um, Europe, Australia, but also in Asian countries increasingly and even in Africa. Um, so basically these are alterations that are done for cosmetic purposes and they include, well, in a, and they vary from country to country. But in Australia, labiaplasty is the most common and that is um, decreasing the size of the labia minora, the, um in the lips of the vulva, and um, there's also um, G-spot amplification, labia majora reduction, liposuction of the mons, pubis, vaginal tightening, um, also uh, things like vaginal uh, bleaching, vulval bleaching. So it's a whole array of things. In Australia, and my research, focused on labiaplasty because that's the most common female general cosmetic surgery occurring in Australia. Um, I have done some research in the United States as well, um, mostly with medical, the medical profession, and there things like vaginal tightening to re- narrow the vagina so it's, there's more sexual satisfaction for anyone, I'm not sure. Um, that, that, um, so that is actually more common. It's not actually particularly common in Australia. So my research was basically focused in Australia on labioplasty um, also clitoral dehooding is another thing that is done um, which is to remove some folds around the clitoris um, and sometimes this is for aesthetic reasons to make the clitoris look less protruding if you've pared away the labia minora and sometimes it's um, thought that it might increase responsiveness in women. Um, of course as you will know having read my book is that i haven't I don't think you can speak about female general cosmetic surgery as a western practice without referring to female circumcision, circumcision, sorry, got and circumcision and and um female um, yeah or female general cutting as I call it in other countries so that all these procedures are um, procedures that are done to women either for aesthetic reasons or cultural reasons, and really to make so that women Feel that they fit in to their society.
2: Yeah, I mean, if with with that as a definition, you know, this cultural alteration done for cultural and aesthetic reasons to make women feel that they fit in, then there is not a far a distance between a labiaplasty and female genital cutting. No, is I mean, there, there's right?
0: very big differences in age, yeah. consent, the medical situation, etc. And I suppose my curiosity came. Well, we'll go into that maybe, but is that I think I sort of realized, well, you know, we can't sit here and say we don't do cultural things, that medicine isn't cultural.
2: <laughs> that's what I, um, that was my driving force, I
0: think.
2: Yeah. And we, we do things to women's bodies. Women do things to their own bodies for but cultural for reasons. for a certain reason because they are yeah. persuaded that that's for some reason or right, a good thing to right. do. And that happens in all cultures. Right, absolutely, and I think that's really important to just you know to help us contextualize one you know, of these ideas because we, I, I think it's uh, there are a lot of people who are going to be like, well, labiaplasty, hmm, women choose that, but female yeah. genital cutting, it's like, well, women choose that too. Just some, complete, of, some pol- of it. They're completely
0: polarized
2: in yeah the
0: way like that in we, our- we look at them in the West.
2: Yeah, Yeah, our discussion has been polarized, and I think it's good to put it on a spectrum and to consider that together. I think that's really important. There will be some complaints. We will hear about this conversation. I will hear about this conversation. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm sure you have heard about this as well. I'm sure anytime you've said this publicly, yeah.
0: Yeah, I just think it well, all academic inquiry. I think um, you had to be game
2: to go there. Yeah. I mean, that's our job, right? Is to ask questions. Ask questions and see what, yeah. Yeah, see what happens. And maybe be.
0: The conclusion of my book is that, yes, I don't. I think, I don't know that it's really different to have female genital cosmetic surgery than having a nose job or something else. I'm not making that decision. All I'm saying is that it does bring into juxtaposition how we look at one culture against how we look at another culture.
2: Sure. And, you know, and also like what, how um, there's also people that are like, oh good lord, labiaplasty, but are totally fine with rhinoplasty. And on mm. some level, we've just had rhinoplasty. We've talked about rhinoplasty for longer. But there's also like, let's put this on a spectrum. Let's try to contextualize what we're talking about, right?
0: I think something to do with the um, the sort of oh, I don't I can't think of the word now, but the sort of controversial factor about cosmetic surgery. I mean, obviously, the doctors who perform these surgeries don't think it's controversial at all. And then the media hype it up at times. But the thing is that actually, I think the fact that it's so linked to sexuality, in a way that breast surgery, although probably it should be, is not, is there's something about altering the genitalia that um, has more people more concerned or people more
2: yeah. opinionated about it? Yeah, it, more like, opinionated.
0: You know?
2: Yes. Yeah. Just... <laughs> certainly more opinionated. So, you open your book with an excerpt from an interview you held with a woman named Mandy, or perhaps not ma- named Mandy, whatever, but Mandy, um, who wants a labiaplasty. And so, can you tell us what she had to say? Can you just get, kind of run down what her concerns are? Well,
0: Mandy was interesting. She came from a medical family. And she was obviously very, um, I would say, sort of an anxious woman. Um, And initially, she was concerned about her protruding labia and was keen to have labia plastic. But then, as the conversation went on, I spoke to her several times. Um, She then also was concerned about having vaginal tightening because she'd had, well, she when I first spoke to her, she was pregnant. Then afterwards, she'd had a baby, and. um, I suppose, um, so she was worried about the specifics and function. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I don't know if I'm not a psychologist or, um, but I think in lots of ways she was concerned about her relationship and trying to be attractive to her partner. And um, in some ways she was, um, nervous about nervous about her well concerned about how she looked and, mm-hmm. and
2: how well, she looks I mean, but not also overly, not overly confident no right she seems to care about how she looks but she's also worried that like that her body has changed in this way as I a result of
0: childbearing with, and right
2: yeah. the, she wasn't she, she was, mean yeah oh hmm?
0: I mean but she was pregnant with a third
2: yeah but, and three three kids is a lot um and you know the childbirth is just some violence to your body yeah. but you know yeah she seemed to be worried about being attractive like visually but attractive as in her ability to keep her husband happy as well to maintain a sexual health
0: Yeah, she wanted to ma- she wanted to have as she said what i think in one thing she said i just uh, i want to get into bed and she didn't want getting into bed to be a boring thing where he didn't find her attractive or whatever yeah um, so, I mean, to me that indicates some sort of insecurity and where does that come from? Where do, where, mm-hmm. where is that generated? Yeah, well, let's talk about that.
2: Like why, you know, what? where does that come from? What? How did Mandy and the women like Mandy convince you to write this book?
0: Um, well, I guess when I set out, I had no idea what I was going to find out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I just became interested in the subject. And so... Um, and I had lots of intimate conversations with women, which really sometimes put me in a bit of a difficult situation. But um, I suppose what came up is that women are quite, a lot of women are quite insecure about how their vulvas look and uh, they want to be, I can't think of a better word than say, to be loved mm-hmm. and um, accepted and that they feel, and I think this has generated, um, I well, we can unpack it a bit further down the line, but I think um, they see in the media and articles and social media, they see other women's bodies. I'm not a fan of saying that pornography is a huge driver for this. I think it has a big factor to play but things like, as Mandy discusses, I'm not sure if it's in that opening part, but certainly later in the book, about pubic grooming and how, you know, a lot of women feel insecure about having a Brazilian or something because their labia manura, um fall down beyond their labia majora. So I think this whole thing is that they see images um, that, and there's a lot of the other thing which we will, which I do, I think, in the uh, perfection chapter go on to is this idea that um, you should care for yourself, that it's a woman's um responsibility, not just a woman, obviously men as well. But um that um in our neoliberal society is this, you need to work on the body, make sure you're presentable and to be um acceptable and happy, you need Mm -hmm. to do the best you can do to and that used to be, maybe it used to be washing your hair or
2: whatever it happens to be, but Mm -hmm. now it's extended to your genitalia yeah now we have yeah. we have other medical interventions right yes. it's not it's just not, about dieting yes. yes not just no
0: it's more um
2: where i mean that's a bit where can we go from here really yeah i mean then we're into Hunger games territory maybe no. um and i also want to mention this is an interview which which makes up the basis of your source material for this book right you interviewed several women
0: um, I interviewed twenty-two women. I, I put a right. questionnaire on the web, and probably had about I don't know forty or fifty responses. Forty something, I think. And um, I, of that, twenty-two women agreed to be interviewed. So I interviewed them, some of them several times, and so they formed my main source mm-hmm. material and the characters in the book. Um, and so that was um, the core of my research with women. Um, then I interviewed about. 40 doctors. Um, I don't know. We have a, cat- a different categorisation between plastic and cosmetic surgeons in Australia. Plastic surgeons are much better trained in plastic surgery. Cosmetic surgeons are just GPs who call, them, call themselves cosmetic surgeons because that's what they're interested in. Gynecologists, yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. in America, the, the number of people doing these operations is much broader. There's also dermatologists and other people doing them. But yeah, so I interviewed mostly plastic cosmetic surgeons and a few gynecologists, um, and got their perspective. And the other thing I did in my research was go to several go to conferences and things where medical conferences and women's health conferences, um, where these the issue of female dental cosmetic surgery was either the main focus of the conference or it an issue that was brought up at a conference in the case of women's health. Right on. All right. So, sort of like that. So, yeah. And I did most of my research in Australia, except for, and I did a lot of searching, obviously, on the web and everything. So, to find what was happening in other areas of the world. Um, and then I did um, go to a conference in Las Vegas on cosmetic gynecology, <laughs> which forms one of my checklists.
2: Yeah. Wow. That I'm guessing was quite a cultural experience. Yes, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty, um, I think I say in the book,
0: it's quite daunting as a woman to be sitting in a room of sort of 100 or so, mostly men. Only three women mm-hmm. spoke at the conference and one of them was my colleague, a psychologist from Australia, um, talking about how women needed to sort out their bits.
2: Yeah, that's money. Yeah, that's that's about. I know it's that's, a very cynical sort of attitude, but that's what I found out. And Yeah. Yeah. No, it seems like a very reasonable uh, way to look at this. Um, all right, so uh, back to kind of the story here. I want to read a brief passage. Mm-hmm. Mandy and I chatted about what is normal f- for vulval morphology. Normal isn't the right word, she said emphatically. There is no normal. The word I would like to use is aesthetically. I like to use is uh, aesthetically pleasing. After I watched the perfect vagina, listeners, that's an English documentary from two thousand seven. Okay after I watched the perfect vagina and saw the plaster casts of a wide variety of vulvas, that certainly changed my opinion a lot. The majority of women are so different to the ideal and everyone's in the same boat. We're all different to the ideal. So what is normal? Unquote. And I love that she's, she's aware of this. Like Maddie doesn't think there's a normal vulva, but she has an idea of what makes an attractive vulva. And that kind of, that throws me in a bit of a spin. (laughs) Like how, uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, help me understand how you can say there's no normal, but still consider surgery to make yourself more attractive according to a standard that she has to know is plastic and constructed. I think that um, what I found out was that
0: there is no normal vulva. There, there's no medical definition of what's a normal vulva. Um, it, the measurements vary widely. But what women desire and what they consider normal is conflated with the ideal. So they think of what's an ideal, and then the ideal and the normal butt up against each other. And so Mm -hmm. the normal is actually what's um, statistically normal or what's medically normal is um, a wide range, but what women consider normal or even maybe doctors consider normal is um, what's really more the ideal, which is what is shown in the media, and in text, and even in stylized medical drawings of vulva, mm-hmm. so um, although I don't think women are, most women realise that there's great variety, and and doctors admit that as well, but that's not what women want, mm-hmm. or doctors feel that they can provide right.
2: that. Sure. So Mandy then is fairly fairly normal in this regard. She's representative yeah. of the women who seek plastic or cosmetic surgery, yeah, and, that, and that's how she rationalizes it.
0: I mean, she's not a She's she's an intelligent woman. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess we all, in lots of ways. I mean, we all do things to make ourselves not statistically normal. I suppose. I mean.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. And we all do things to, you know, to, to, to be our best, what we conceive to consider to be our best. It comes back to that um, working on self mm-hmm. idea, the Sokolian sort of idea that
0: we should um, work on ourselves um, mm-hmm. and transform ourselves in, into um, what fits
1: into society. This episode is brought to you by Saks.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com.
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, I just did an interview with a guy named Jürgen Matsukat on a book called the age of fitness that talks about how much working on our bodies is a demonstration of like moral goodness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and like this, uh, this, there were a few times I thought back to that, that I kind of thought about that one, a great book, by the way, highly recommend. Um, Okay. So, I mean, there's this other um, kind of question, you know, is why? And as you note, and this is a direct quote, there's no one answer to why female genital cosmetic surgery is inc- increasing in popularity in the West. And so what you give us instead is a rhizomatic, non to Deleuze and Guattari, explanation, which is to say it's really hard to economically answer the question I'm about to ask you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Why are women doing this? Hmm. Well, I
0: think I did fall back on that rhizonomic thing. Um, I, um, I couldn't put my finger on it. Is what? but I found that probably what was interesting in my research is that there's many multifactorial issues, and I think well, we all know that that's in everything in our lives. So mm-hmm. basically um, I do think that there could be people who are more susceptible to worrying about, Um, what their vulvas look like. I mean, Mm -hmm. other people would just say, well, no one sees it much, I don't care sort of thing. So um, I think um, there are lots of reasons, but I suppose one of the things that I um, wanted to highlight, I suppose, from my perspective as a medical anthropologist is that I think medicine has quite a, a big influence on the choices women make about their bodies because medicine is considered to be a cultural mm-hmm. rather than being firmly embedded in culture and also, you know, it's uh, like um, medicine is science and therefore if a doctor says you can do this and it's just chop, chop, chop and that's that, fine. So whereas uh, I don't think that women take into the fact that a lot of where women get their ideas of what is, the sort of vulva that they want um, is not just pornography and magazines and things. It's also before and after images on doctors' websites. So you look like um, you look you look like uh, I'll just I know you, you know. So basically, this is the before, and this is the after, and then you end up with this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So right. the the clean slip, which is yeah. sort of the ideal. And I think that persuades women um, Mm -hmm. that that is what they can aspire to. So I think that, um, I mean, obviously I think I say something in the book, but if there were no doctors who did it, well, the ideal wouldn't be there. I mean, it had to be how you were born. Yeah.
2: That'd be it. From Mm -hmm. most of human history, we haven't done it, right?
0: No. Now, but other cultures, of course, have.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, sure, and and for different reasons. Yeah, that's absolutely. That was a completely wrong thing to say, Anna. Um, yeah, I mean, so on some answer, some level, the answer is because we can, right? We're always trying to improve, and this and is the newest technology. About, um, commercialization. I mean,
0: I think that, that I, I like certainly the m- most of the doctors that I interviewed in Australia and all, all the doctors in America at the conference They blatantly said they were in it for money. True. Yeah no I mean you know fair okay um yeah doctors have said well what's the you know as I mentioned earlier I think what's the difference between you know cutting off a labia and
2: straightening a nose sure yeah Mm -hmm. it's an interesting question Mm -hmm. and I I mean I think if we're like well one of these things is part of our sacred body or something that's that's problematic in itself right the idea Mm -hmm. that there's some part of a woman's body that should not be touched is interesting. I you think. Know? I
0: think. I mean, there's a lot of historical unpacking you can do in that respect as well, mm-hmm. sort of so history sure. and yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, been, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, like from you know. vulvas sort of maybe in the past being sort of sacred to now being malleable.
2: Yeah, and uh, commercialized, and uh, and there's definitely. Uh, yeah 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 I mean, but I think i, I want to make sure that our audience understands that this isn't just about pornography or media representation, yeah. that there's also a dialectic with the medical community as well, you I know think so. and yeah, yeah, uh yeah that, that was uh that was another one you know, one of those moments where I was reading along in this book and I'm like, hey, wait, I've never thought that before. that's really that's a great point, like, yeah, and so then I think i'm I'm now in this kind of circle of thinking about. All of the, all of the medical procedures that we accept, and in part just because someone tells us it's available, so that a doctor can make money with it, you know.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it's a very sort of cynical thing, but that's what I found. The other thing is, of course, I think that you know, sexualization in societies a big thing now, um, particularly the mm-hmm. younger cohort of women that I spoke to, the fact that they wanted to wear skimpy bikinis and yeah. Um. You know, and that um, as one of the doctors have said, and there's no room for labia in that. You know, like <laughs> um, that is you know, the truth. Yeah. So <laughs> people, women don't just want to, um, in this, especially the young women. They just don't. They don't just want to, feel aesthetically normal. Which, of course, the normal, as we discussed, mm-hmm. is not normal. It's ideal. But they also want to do what um, women. Of their age, or any woman wants to do. I mean, they want to be able to wear a bikini, they want to be able to do, go to the gym, and they want to be able to look good in different fashions, etc. So, mm-hmm. normal is not just about their vulvas per se; it's about everything else that goes on in their life that's attached to how they feel that sure. affects what they yeah. Can do.
2: Yeah. So beyond, as you said, beyond the clean slit compromising yeah. a smooth, you know, exterior, no flesh. Um, so, and I think it's interesting if we contextualize though this, we have this image of women's bodies I want to spend a little minute on. Um, and I'm gonna quote you again. Um, so we have a woman, quote, with markers of her sexual, second of her secondary sexual status, breast, buttocks, and curves, heightened and exaggerated, with the exclusion of body hair, but with primary sexual markers, the vulva and vagina, reduced to absence. Um And I want to make sure, like, we're clear that this is this can't be found in nature. Hairlessness is not the hallmark of an adult woman, right? Like, that. Mm -hmm. So, something you know, just this is enough. But um, what's going on with this hypersexualized, no sexualized kind of female body? That's a very interesting body. Yeah, I think it's something that's generated um, in images, in the
0: media, Mm -hmm. or even in pornography. So basically. Having obviously having big breasts and mm-hmm. long hair and curvy hips and things is um, a mark of a woman, but I suppose my point is: then why are we taking away what really mm-hmm. is the mark of a woman, which is her vulva? Um, yeah. Why would uh, so? What is going on? What is going on here? And one of the reasons, of course, is. Um, particularly in pornography, is that, um, in Australia anyway, um, for pornography to appear sort of more in the mainstream, the censorship laws say that you can't have, um, ex- you know, I can't remember what the term is. They say it's like obvious. Oh, okay, thanks. I forgot my term, is they say. But, yeah. but, you know, you can't. So basically that's, they are digitally altered. They take mm. they do what's called digital labiaplasty, which is in a production room before... Pornography and the stuff goes to air, or images go to air in um, magazines that you can buy over the counter, for instance, not R-rated things. They just use a the, uh, they use a digital device to remove the labia, mm. and so so um, because that's considered too what's the word? It's in the book actually. It's too
2: confrontational. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> yeah. I, I <laughs> So we don't so want all, you to be confronted by labia yes, when you're yes, looking yes, at porn. Yeah.
0: So it's just, um, so it's, I don't, to be honest, that's the law in Australia anyway, yeah. with um, pornography, for it to be available on the shelf or for over So Of course, the thing is that with pornography, with the internet, you can get onto all sorts mm-hmm. of sites of pornography and see all sorts of things. But there has been some research to say that a lot of women prefer to see. Stylized sort of women mm-hmm. with, um, you know, like the image that you just said that I suggested. But but then some of the women that I interviewed also were happy to see homemade pornography with all different sorts of vulvas. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing, that's why I suppose I decided that I'm not actually convinced that pornography itself per se um, is a huge influence because like, women are smart and they know things that have been digitally altered and... There's a great um, lot of variation, but I think that comes back to an earlier point is, um, although everyone knows it's normal to have different looking vulvas, that's not what they
2: want. They want the ideal. Sure. Um, You know, and there's something, there's a lot of work about kind of pornography and how sex has become um, visual as much as it is tactile and the perfect kind of this is a sexualized body that's about viewing and not, touching on some level. Yeah. Mm. I mean, except, I mean, labiaplasty for talking about vaginal tightening or something, then we, then it's a different situation. Um, One of the, like, the, one more point I really want to hit before I let you go is uh, the tension between self-care and self-obsession, right? Like mm. there's this tight line for women to walk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, specifically since women are always kind of precariously balanced on this line anyway, because you have to be attractive, but you don't want to be, you want to be attractive. You want to be productive. You want to be alluring, but not overly sexual. It's, 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 it's impossible. Like there's this line that's impossible. And you know, so you've got, you know, and I think about like what I do to remain attractive, you know, what I consider attractive. And there's all this like good skin care and find out foundational garments and hair but I don't want to be some high maintenance yoga lady who calls her yeah, narcissism. Not so much good. maintenance needs to get a life. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. so like, what is a woman to do? How do you manage this? And what I found, um, I think you'll know. I, I found it varied. Like there's
0: some really down to earth women that I interviewed who, just like you and I, would probably think, you know, well, I could do a bit of work there that make me happier, and that's fine. Then in that. The chapter I write on perfection, there's obviously mm-hmm. the women who are perfectionists and they're not just perfectionists in how they look but how their vulvas are or their pubic hair or whatever, they're perfectionists in their jobs. Or, and the weirdest mm-hmm. thing I found is that they think um, those two women, Kylie and Mia, who I talk about, not their real names, of course, um, who basically feel that if they do all this work on themselves, they're better people and they'll make other people happy. And um, so although it seems very self-obsessed, which you could argue that it could be, but it's they're they're on this project of um, what they feel is contributing more by working on themselves. And where does all this come from, which is the interesting point, isn't it? I mean, I think really, um, and you could say that they're being duped by what's possible or whatever or... Um, there's a good book by Tana Meyer and Jeffries of what they call good vanity. And so mm-hmm. in the old days, like, vanity was meant to be, um, you know, not a good thing. You know, you wouldn't want to stay if someone was vain, it would be a detriment, whereas now there's mm-hmm. a certain amount of good vanity is expected. And I think that comes back to your point on the gym. Like, you know, you're meant to go to the gym, you're meant to do this, and meant to do that. And the other thing that comes into this aspect as well is the, um, and I'm not a psychologist, so I, I I mentioned it in the book but I don't go into it in detail, is body dysmorphic disorder as something that drives women's desires to um, continuously work on their bodies. They so don't see Kylie, one of the women in the book, she had three labiaplas, three operations on her vulva and a breast augmentation in one year within 12 months. Um, I mean, it's being very given, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So
2: yeah, that's interesting. It it is. You see, this like it's kind of this perfect storm on women's bodies, right? That like, um, you know, this the the as capitalism tells us all that we constantly have to be working. You can't mm. just not work.
0: Oh, and and that goes for the whole economy. It has
2: to grow all the time. Everything has to be going exponentially. Yeah, and you're, you personally must take part in that or you're not being a but, good citizen. That's right. Yeah, no. and so then, you know, d- what is your body looking like? Are you doing your best to make yourself better, right? This, like, constantly striving to be this perfection that is unattainable and becomes ever more unattainable. I mean, like, if we're digitally taking out people, like, you know, lengthening necks and yeah. changing the in- way in- that in- we, we have. People to make them look um- um, anyway, I
0: won't go into but I mean, you see it all. <laughs> I've I become really aware of it now. Like, you look at him, mm-hmm. you think,
2: that person doesn't look like that. Um, Nobody looks like that.
0: No. But it does affect the opinions women make mm-hmm. um, about their bodies. I mean,
2: I think and, it's very complex
0: because I think some women really do want to be what they consider normal. Like, one girl that um, I interviewed was born with some sort of labial adhesion or something, so she had one labial which was much longer than the other. And I mean, you think, well, okay, it's like if you have, my cousin had big ears and he had them pinned back. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I fell off the horse <laughs> and I had my nose done. So, um, yeah, so we all succumb to what we feel. Mm-hmm. I suppose my point is that we have to be cautious about mm-hmm. um, being persuaded to go too far.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the point, right? Like, what's what's okay, and where's where's the line where it's too far? And, who and decides. Who, yeah, who decides that? Is that's your very basic food decision, in, right? There. Um, our sort of commercial
0: capitalist neoliberal society, it's the individual who decides
2: it. Uh, but with but with uh, with restrictions, hmm. um, you know. Like, I actually just yesterday was talking to a friend who wants to get. Um uh gender like not right. re- gender reassignment city is uh, surgery, but she she's getting top surgery um and you know and, and uh they had to go to several different doctors to get approval right so there's also this place where you're not mm-hmm. where where female bodies in particular like bodies gendered female are subject to but what oversight into that. What worries me and comes back to, I
0: suppose, my basic premise for the book or for my research is, but why has medicine got so much authority? Yeah, that is a great question. I just think that, you know, um, as an older woman, um, I know what I want to do with my body. Um, So why should I, you know, why, why would that usually a man, I talk in the book about the male gaze and the medical gaze, Well normally a man tell me what i can and cannot do Mm -hmm. and that certainly comes back to the
2: whole debate about feminism and we could go off
0: for another two years yeah
2: that's a whole nut that's another (laughs) book that's another hour of conversation but i do find that very interesting how how much we treat medical authority as as if it were handed down like it's the new religion right it's down from (laughs) god and okay
0: we've got rid of god and now we've got medicine
2: yeah. Um, I
0: forgot cool. what first that Mole, that she's Dutch, isn't she? Yeah. With, well, she, she writes very really that much about the authority of medicine, which I find um very pertinent to my sort of argument.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
0: Anna's mm-hmm. yeah. Um is this, I think that we have just um it needs to be questioned. Mm-hmm. And sure. the same with the case you were just talking about, you know, with your yeah. friend who wants to have surgery.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, this is not, this isn't gender reassignment surgery. This is a way for this person to make a body that seems to suit them better or her. Mm -hmm. She uses both pronouns. Um, And, and that, that on some level, whose business is that, right? Because if you win and if some, a breast reduction is incredibly common and super Mm -hmm. old and a medical necessity. And unless you seem to want it for other reasons, like. I find this all very interesting yes yeah, yeah i think uh i think my
0: research did what and um, what i hope i've sort of brought out in the book is a bit about the authority of medicine guide mm-hmm. what women do with their bodies mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that i think that's um like if we look at say places like africa which is where i lived for many years um we think that's culture there ask women to do certain things with their bodies and I suppose I'm saying well same things go on here just in a different way
2: so yeah it's just this other kind of point to put in the constellation of how we navigate like normal attractive and how we ought to be in the world mm. which is pretty complex so are you um are you continuing with this research what are you thinking uh, about no Pretty much not
0: really. What I'm mostly doing at the moment is I'm mentoring PhD students at uni. Um, I work part-time. I um, do really boring things like marking. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and um, I'm writing another book, but it's not an academic book. Yeah.
2: Oh, tell me, what is it, um, if you don't mind? <laughs> it's more of a uh, memoir. Type of thing. Oh, wonderful. That's Wonderful. I will look for it. All right, Lindy, thank you so much for taking time with me. Uh, it was, it's it's a great conversation. I really love the book. Once again, The Perfect Vagina uh, from Indiana University Press. Thanks much. I just wanted to say before you go, I need for you
0: to thank Indiana University Press very much. They've been so supportive. It's taken a long time, but they've been great, great to deal with. And the Australian Anthropological Society who gave me a research grant to
2: write the book so i will all right shout outs to both all right (laughs) thank you okay cheers